This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at area code 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. Of Domestical Duties by William Gouch, 1622, as read by Leah Domes. The entire book, Of Domestical Duties, is available through Stillwater's Revival Books. I am reading from the Third Treatise of Wives' Particular Duties, the second tape. Objection. That point of a woman's subjection in performing her vow is a particular rule case, but not this of disposing goods. Answer. The scripture by particular laws and examples teaches directions for other cases like to them, and arguments drawn by just and necessary consequence are counted as found as expressed testimonies, whereas it is said that this particular question is not expressly decided. I take the reason thereof to be this, that in former times they so well marked the extent of the general law of a wise subjection, as they made no question of doing this or other like things without their husband's consent. Neither did good wives take that liberty, neither had they any patrons of such liberty. Second objection. The case of a wife disposing goods is unlike to that of vows, because vows are voluntary, but disposing goods as a work of mercy is necessary. Answer. Though it were a voluntary thing to make, or not to make a vow, yet a vow being made, it was not in the power of the party that made it not to perform it. It was a necessary duty to perform a vow, even expressly commanded. As for the pretended work of mercy, I will hereafter show that a wife is not necessarily tied thereunto. 26. Of human laws which restrain wives from disposing goods without or against their husband's consent. A fourth is taken from the laws of men whereunto we are subject, and which we must obey even for conscience' sake, so far as they thwart not God's law, which in this case they do not, as the reasons before gathered out of God's word do show. Now our law saith that every gift, grant, or disposition of goods, lands, or other thing whatsoever made by a woman covert, and all and every obligation and selfment made by her and recovery suffered, if they be done without her husband's consent, are void. Yea, if she do wrong to another, she hath not anything to make satisfaction during coverture. Either her husband must do it, or by imprisonment of her person must it be done. And though she have inheritance of her own, 
Yet can she not grant any annuity out of it during her coverture without her husband? If any deed be made to that purpose without his consent, or in her name alone, it is void in law. Yea, if there be debate between the husband and his wife, whereby certain lands of the husbands be assigned to the wife with his consent, if out of such lands she grant an annuity to a stranger, the grant is void. And if he covenant to give her yearly such and such apparel, she cannot dispose it as she lists without his consent, but only use and wear it herself. Neither can she lease her own land for years, for life, and so on. If she do, it is void, and the leasee entering by force thereof is a decisor to the husband and trespasser. And if she sell anything, the sale is void, except she be a merchant, whereby the custom she is enabled to merchandise. Finally, she cannot make executors without the consent of her husband, nor device or will. If she make a will, and thereby devise her own inheritance, and her husband die, and she after die without any new publication of it, it is of no force, because it was void at first. These and many other like cases, which might be alleged, evidently show that by law a wife hath not power of herself, without her husband, to dispose the common goods of the family. 27. Of the inconveniences which may follow upon wives disposing goods without or against her husband's consent. A fit reason may be taken from the mischiefs which would fall out if this liberty were given unto women, which are these that follow. 1. The estate of the family might be wasted before any redress could be thought of. For if the wife may dispose the goods without her husband's consent, it must also be granted without his knowledge. For it is to be supposed that if he knew of the disposing of that which he liketh not, he would hinder it. If without his knowledge, then may that which he thinketh to be remaining as a stock for the family be laid out by the wife, and nothing left. Whereas if he knew of the spending of that stock, it might be he would be more thrifty and sparing in other expenses. Objection. This liberty is not granted to wives beyond their husband's ability. Answer. The wives cannot always know their husband's ability, for their husbands may be much indebted, and yet to maintain his credit, whereby he hopeth to raise his estate, may allow liberal maintenance for his house. If thereupon his wife shall gather that he is very rich, and accordingly be bountiful in her gifts, she may soon go beyond his ability, and so increase his debt, as he shall never be able to recover himself. 2. Persons of contrary religions and dispositions, being out of the family, might be maintained by the goods of the same family. For if the husband were of one religion, and the wife of another, he, without her knowledge, might maintain those of his religion, and she, without his knowledge, might maintain them of her religion. Objection. This liberty of disposing goods given to the wife is limited within the bounds of the household of faith. Answer. If divines grant them this liberty, they will themselves judge and determine who be of the household of faith. Popish wives will say, say we what we can to the contrary, that Jesuits, priests, and fires are of the household of faith, principal members thereof. 
three, many errors and contentions would thence arise betwixt husband and wife, for if a wife shall persist to do that which her husband will not consent unto, assuredly one of a thousand will not well book it, but will rather seek all the ways he can to cross her, thinking himself despised if she, whether he will or not, have her mind. Objection. Wives must use this liberty with all due respect unto their husband's authority. Answer. If the husband preemptorily stand upon his authority and by all the fair means that can be used will not yield this liberty, I know not what better respect she can show to this authority than to forbear and abstain from doing that which otherwise she would most gladly do. But if when it cometh to the uttermost point and she shall say it is her right, and if she cannot have his consent, she will do it without his consent. She therein showeth no great respect. Many other inconveniences might be reckoned up, but I will not longer insist on them. Only from these let it be well considered whether it were not better for a family that the husband should be barred from disposing the goods without consent of his wife, so as there might be according to the proverb but one hand in the purse than both husband and wife to have liberty to dispose without each other's consent. 28. Of the property and goods, whether it give liberty to dispose them as a wife will. To justify a wife's liberty in disposing the common goods of the family without her husband's consent, it is said that she hath a true right and property in those goods. First answer. Though it were granted that a wife hath a true property in the goods, that this conclusion would not follow thereupon, that she hath power of herself to dispose of goods without her husband's consent. For the authority which God hath given in husband, and subjection which he hath laid on a wife, restrain her power and liberty in that which is her own. As for example, suppose that a woman at the time of her marriage have a lease for years, or the wardship of the body and lands of an infant, or have it by gift or purchase after marriage. She cannot give it away whatsoever the extremity be, but her husband may any time during coverture dispose of it, and such his disposition shall cut off the wife's interest. Or suppose that the only child of her father, being an inheritrix of land, and having herself, her father being dead, the full possession thereof, or that a widow have the right unto in possession of her husband's estate, and thus possession be married to her husband. Has she, being a wife, liberty to dispose that estate which she brought with her without or against her husband's consent? I think none will say it. Sure I am that what she giveth, lendeth, selleth, or otherwise disposeth without his consent, he, if he will, may for his lifetime recover again, and yet no man will deny but that she hath the truest interest and property in the forenamed lands and inheritance. Objection. May she not as well dispose of her own inheritance as of those goods or revenues which her husband giveth her? Answer. No, for the gift of the husband is a general consent of his for her to dispose that which is given her as she seeth meet. 29. Are there reasons against the wise property in the common goods of the family? Second answer. It may safely be denied that a wife hath a property in the common goods of the family, whereof she is no heir. For property and goods is a civil matter, 
and to be limited according to the law of man under which we live. Where the law or custom of the place make all the children co-heirs, all have an equal right to their several parts. Where the eldest only is made heir, he hath a right to all. Where the youngest only is made to heir, he hath a right to all. But neither the law of the nations nor the land where we live give the wife a property. By the common law marriage is a gift of all the goods and chattels personal of the wife to her husband, so that no kind of property in the same remaineth in her. And all personal goods and chattels during marriage given to the wife are presently transferred as to the property of them to the husband. So that by our law she is so far from gaining any property by her marriage in her husband's goods as she loses all the property she formerly had in her own goods. Yea, her necessary apparel is not hers in property. While she remaineth a wife, she is, to use the law phrase, under covert barren. She can neither let, sell, alien, give, nor otherwise of right make anything away. No, nor yet make a will so to dispose any goods while her husband liveth without his consent, which yet an husband may while his wife liveth, and that without or against her consent. Objection. The law states a wife in a great part of the husband's goods, providing for her jointer or thirds, which the husband cannot make away without her consent. Answer. This provision is only for the time of her widowhood, in case she overlive him. But for the time that she remaineth his wife, he may make away all, and she can recover none till he be dead. Objection. This restraint of wives is only in the court of men. Answer. Seeing it is not against the law of God, it must also hold good in the court of conscience. Nay, it is agreeable to the law of God and grounded thereupon. For to omit the proofs before alleged, what might be the reason that the daughters of Zelophehad, who were heirs to their father, were forbidden to marry out of their father's tribe, and their law was made that no daughters that possessed any inheritance should marry out of their father's tribe, but because all that a woman had before marriage passed upon the husband and became his by virtue of marriage, this also for that purpose is by some not unfitly nor without probability noted. It is a common phrase of scripture to term husbands, but not wives, rich, implying thereby that riches by property appertain to husbands. Yea, usually in scripture, good sand lands are said to be the husbands. Objection. The wives of Jacob do term the goods which their husbands had theirs, saying the riches which God hath taken from our father is ours. Genesis 31.16 Answer. They use the word ours in opposition to their father's house, and in relation not to their persons, but to their husband's family, and therefore they add, and our children's, so as by that place no greater right can be proved for wives than for children. When the Holy Ghost speaketh of the same goods, he saith not in relation to husband and wives both, their flocks, their substance, but only in relation to the husband, his flocks, his substance. For as a mixture of wine and water, though the greater quantity be water, yet we call the whole wine. So in the common goods of the family, though the wife should bring the greater part, we call all the husbands. 30. Of the answers to the reasons for a wife's property. To prove a wife's property in the common goods of the family, 
the reasons following are alleged. First objection. Marriage giving a wife right of her husband's body doth much more of his goods. Answer. I deny the consequence, for the use of the body is a proper act of the matrimonial bond, wherein the difference betwixt superiority and subjection appeareth not. The wife hath as great a power over the husband's body as the husband over the wives, which is not so in the goods. No one thing can be named, wherein the power and authority of the husband more consisteth than in the goods. Second objection. In the form of marriage, the man saith to his wife, with all my worldly goods I thee endow. Answer. 1. Those words are to be taken of the use of his goods, and not of a property in them. 2. If an husband shall intend a property by them, that property which she hath thereby, she hath not by virtue of the general law of marriage, but of his particular free donation. 3. In all countries those words are not used in the form of marriage. If those words give the wife her property, then such wives as are married without those words used have no property, so as this cannot be a general ground of liberty for all wives. Third objection. A wife hath as good an estate in her husband's goods as the church in Christ's blood, but there the church hath a property. Answer. Neither of those points can be proved, but if a wife's right in her husband's goods he has the churches in Christ's blood what is gotten thereby. The church hath not power without or against Christ's consent to dispose his blood. The church of Rome is counted a proud usurping strumpet for taking upon her so to do. 31. Of the privileges of wives above children and servants in and about the goods of the family. Question. Where then is the preferment of the wife above servants and children if she have not a property? I answer, much every manner of way. 1. There is due to her a more free and plentiful use of all the goods than unto them. 2. By her place she hath the ordering and disposing of the goods allotted for the common use of the family, as was before granted. 3. Her husband ought to give her a portion to dispose as she shall see good, as we shall after show when we come to the husband's duties. 4. She is a joint governor with her husband over the children and servants, as was showed before. Again I answer that this argument might as well be alleged against that fear, subjection, and obedience which the scripture expressly requires of us and it might be demanded if wives must fear and obey their husbands and be subject unto them, where is their performance above their children and servants? But it hath been showed that though the same things for matter be required of wives which are required of children and servants, yet there is a great difference in the manner of performing them. 32. Of examples and other reasons alleged for liberty of wives to dispose goods. 2. Abigail's example is alleged for a wife's liberty, and the example of the good housewife described by Solomon. Answer. 1. Abigail's example was extraordinary. Besides, who can tell whether the heart of her husband so trusted not in her as he referred the whole government of the house to her, and so she had a general consent for what she did? 2. It is clear that the other good wife had her husband's consent for what she did. For besides that, it is said the heart of her husband trusted in her, 
It is also said that he praised her. Therefore, he was neither ignorant of that which she did, nor unwilling she should do it. It was neither without nor against his consent. 3. It is alleged that wives have as great a care in getting goods or in preserving them for the good of the family. Therefore, it is just and equal that they should have a like power in disposing them. Answer. The question may be made of the former part, at least for the greater sort and number of wives, yet for answer to this reason I need not question it, for the consequence doth not follow, will that be granted. The right of disposing goods doth not simply rise from the care and pains of getting and preserving them, but from that order that the Lord hath been pleased to set down. A wife and industrious child may be a means to raise and increase his father's estate, when his father taketh little care and pains about it, be a faithful and wise steward or other servant, as Jacob and Joseph were, may do much more by his pains and care in getting and preserving the goods of the family than his master. Yet will it not thereupon follow that such a child or such a servant hath as great a right and power to dispose such goods as his father or his master. 4. The mere conjunction betwixt man and wife is alleged. They are said to be yoke fellows, and thence is inferred that they have a like power in disposing goods. Answer. They are yoke fellows in mutual familiarity, not in equal authority, and in relation to others as children and servants, not in opposition each to other. In this respect, she is subject, not equal. If, therefore, he will one thing, and she another, she may not think to have an equal right and power. She must give place and yield. 33. Of the subjection of wives in distributing goods to charitable uses. Some that grant that a wife is so subjected to her husband in a civil matter as she may not dispose any part of his goods at her pleasure to any civil use deny this subjection to extend to giving of alms and such like charitable uses. Before I come to determine this question, let it be remembered that it was before granted that ordinary duty must give place to extraordinary need, so that release in present necessity is not controverted. Let it be also remembered that a wife may have goods proper to herself, yet it shall be showed that an husband ought, according to his ability, to commit something to her discretion and disposition. Of these and such like goods, she is as much bound as her husband to expend something to charitable uses, and, as God offers occasion, to reach forth her hand to the poor and needy. Yea, further, let this be premised that in case a wife be forbidden or restrained by her husband, she ought to use all the good means she can by herself and her friends to move her husband to grant her some liberty, that she may have some trial of her merciful and charitable disposition. If herein she cannot prevail, then she ought to make known unto her husband such persons' cases as she thinks meet to be relieved, and use all the motives she can to persuade him to afford them some relief. But put the case a wife, religious, merciful wife, be married to a covetous worldling, who though he have wit and understanding enough to manage civil affairs and to provide for the outward temporal estate of the house, yet hath no heart to relieve the poor, and is not only unwilling himself to do good in that kind, but will not suffer his wife to do it, 
Whether may a wife privily take of such goods as he hath reserved to his own disposing, and simply without any kind of consent distribute them to charitable uses, or though he expressly forbid her, yet directly against his consent dispose them? With reverent respect to better judgments, I think she may not accept before accepted. For it being before proved in general that she hath no such liberty in disposing goods, I cannot see how this particular end of giving alms can dispense with her general subjection in everything, except there was some particular warrant for it in God's word. 34. Of general exhortation to works of mercy, how far they bind wise. Objection. The many general exhortations unto works of mercy, which without limitation to any particular persons, are indefinitely directed to all, to give sufficient warrant to wives such as these, give alms, let us do good, to distribute, forget not, and so on. Answer. All these are strong motives to provoke wives to be merciful and charitable in such things as they may, by any means with their husband's consent, or in such things as by their husbands are given to them. Yea, also there are strong motives to provoke husbands to allow them liberty to give alms. But in the case propounded, they give no liberty to wives, for it is a weird case laid down by Christ himself that works of charity must be done, and alms must be given of such things as we have or which are in our power to give. Now if the husband will not give her that power, she hath not power to give, and so is excused. In this case her true will and her faithful and earnest desire shall be accepted for the deed, according to that which the apostle saith, If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Many cases may be given wherein inferiors are restrained from works of mercy, and suppose a son or servant be desirous to visit one sick or in prison, but his parent or master, though leave be asked, will not suffer him, but charge him not to stir out of doors, or to go with him another way. Shall this son or servant, notwithstanding that charge, do that work of mercy? 35. Of obedience to an husband in such things as he sinfully forbiddeth. Objection 2. This restraint is not in the Lord, but rather against him and his word. Therefore a wife is not bound thereunto. Answer. Though the husband sin in restraining his wife, yet she in that restraint may obey, and that in the Lord. Because the Lord who hath commanded her to be subject in everything, hath no warranted her not to be subject in this particular. It is expressly said in the law concerning the wise vows that if her husband break them after he hath heard them, he shall bear her iniquity. Did not he then sin in restraining her, and was not she guiltless though she yielded to his restraint? The condition betwixt husbands and wives in this case is not unlike the case betwixt other superiors in authority and their inferiors in subjection. But other inferiors may lawfully abstain from such things as their governors do sinfully charge them to abstain from. For suppose a son, grown to be a man, live in his father's house at his father's finding, and have no set portion of his own, and his father will not give him leave to bestow anything on charitable uses, is he now bound to give alms? Shall the curse be executed on him if he give not? A cross indeed I acknowledge it to be, 
both to such a son and also to a wife to be so restrained, but not a curse or sin. The sin and curse lies on their head, who restrain them by virtue of their authority, wherein they abuse their authority, as other governors may do and oft do, and yet neither liberty granted thereby to subjects, nor authority taken from governors. In this resemblance betwixt a son and a wife, I desire not to be mistaken, for I allege it not to make the state of a wife and a son all one, but to show that those general precepts of giving alms may have their exceptions, as they which in particular handle that point give other examples. There must therefore be a further ground than the general commandment of almsgiving to prove the forenamed liberty of wives. 36. Of Zipporah's case in circumcising her son. Objection 3. A wife was made to be in help to her husband, and those things, therefore, wherein he faileth. She must make supply as Zipporah, who performed a duty which belonged to her husband and not unto her. Answer. She may be in help in many other things, though this be out of her power. Yea, in this also, by counsel, persuasion, and other like means, she may be a great help. The case of Zipporah was extraordinary and of an urgent present necessity even to save the life of her husband. Besides, Moses was of himself unable to do it, but willing that she should do it. Now what is this to ordinary cases, in such cases as husbands are able enough themselves to do, but altogether unwilling that it should be done by their wives? But what is Zipporah's example Herein be not warrantable, for it doth not appear that it was simply approved of God. God doth oft remove temporary judgments for the very work's sake that is done, though in the manner it be sinfully done. Instance, the repentance of Ahab, 1 Kings 21-29. 37. Of the wife of Cruz's case in ministering to Christ. Fourth Objection. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, ministered unto Christ of her substance without her husband's consent. Answer. If this could be proved, it were somewhat to the purpose that this clause, without her husband's consent, wherein the main state of the question consisted, is not in the text, nor by any good probability can be gathered out of it. All the show of probability that can be showed, for it is that Joanna is there said to be the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. But to show that that is nothing, let it be noted. 1. That phrase doth not apply that Cusa was then living. It is said that David begat Solomon of the wife of Uriah, but Uriah was not then living. Therefore the translators, for perspicuity's sake, do insert these words, heard it had been the wife of Uriah. So likewise Onan is commanded to go in to his brother's wife, yet doth not this imply that his brother was then living. Objection. Why should mention be made of Cruza Herod Stuart if he were not then living? Answer. To show that Joanna was a woman of great place, whereby this fruit of her faith in following Christ was the more commended. Thus in another kind, Matthew is entitled the publican, after he had clean relinquished that office, the more to commend his faith. I do not here directly affirm that Cruiser was then dead, but for aught that this phrase doth imply he might be dead. 2. 
some gathered that this steward was that ruler whose son Christ healed, who whereupon believed with all his house, which if he were, then it cannot be doubted, but that his wife followed Christ with his good liking and consent. 3. Cruiser being Herod's steward and sole man of great place and public employment, might, if he were then living, depute the managing of all affairs at home to his wife, as the husband of the good wife commanded by Solomon, and so she might have at least a general consent. I do not certainly determine any of these expressly to be so. I do but note them as probabilities, yet such as do sufficiently overthrow the surmised liberty of a wife in giving alms without any consent of her husband. For this, of all other probabilities, seemeth to be most improbable. Into my heart it can never enter to imagine that Christ would give such an occasion of slander unto his enemies as to say he carried about with him other men's wives, without or against the consent of their husbands, and suffered them to spend the goods of their husbands upon him. I would much rather think that either such women as followed him had no husbands living, or if they had, that they did that which they did with the consent of their husbands. 38. Of the restraint of wives about allowance for themselves or families without their husbands' consent. That which hath hitherto been delivered concerning a wise subjection in disposing goods may also be applied to other things concerning herself, children, servants, and so on, whereof I will give some examples. A wife hath not power to appoint what she lists herself without or against her husband's consent either for her own allowance or for her family. She must rather rest satisfied with that which he appointed, for he being the head must have the overruling stroke therein. Besides, he better knoweth what may be afforded. Question. What if an husband make himself poorer than he is, and the allowance which he appointed be meaner than his means, and unbeseeming his place and state? Answer. She ought, if possible she can, by her own instant persuasion, or any other fair means, move him to that which tended to his honor and reputation. Though she can no way prevail, her subjection requires contentment and patience. 39. Of a wise subjection to her husband about children. A wife may not simply without or directly against her husband's consent order and dispose of the children in giving them names, appareling their bodies, appointing their callings, places of bringing up, marriages, or portions. 1. For giving names to children, besides that it is throughout the scripture for the most part enjoined to the husband, as to Abraham, to Zacharias, and to others, and that accordingly husbands have ordinarily done as Adam, Lamech, Abraham, and others. It is to be noted that when there is a difference betwixt the man and his wife in giving a child's name, he giving one name, she another, the name which he gave stood, the Rachel named her youngest son Benoni, yet Benjamin, which name Jacob gave, was the child's name. So also when Elizabeth told her friends that a child's name must be John, they would not rest therein till Zacharias had ratified that name. Neither Joseph were but the supposed father of Jesus, yet because he was the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, he had this honor given him, to give the name unto her child. Whereas in Scripture it is sometimes said that the mothers named their children, as Leah, Rachel, and others, it is upon the forenamed ground to be supposed that they had their husband's consent. 2. 
For appointing place and marriage, it is noted that Rebecca asked the consent of her husband. Though she told her son Jacob that he should go to Haran to his uncle Laban to be their captain's safety from the fury of Esau, yet she would not send him till Isaac had given his consent for his abode there and taking a wife from thence. But 3. For deputing unto a calling, it is noted of Anna that though before her child was born, she had by solemn vow dedicated him to the Lord, yet when the child was born, she asked her husband's consent about it. 4. That which is noted of Anna's carrying a little coat to her son year by year when she went up with her husband showed that she did it not without her husband's consent. Women are for the most part prone to prank up their children above their husband's place and calling, and therefore good reason that therein they should be governed by their husbands. Objection. What if husbands be more forward to have their children attired vainly and unseemly than wives? Answer. A wife must do what she can to hinder it. If she can no way prevail with him, she by reason of her subjection is much more excused than he could be, if he would suffer his wife therein to have her will. 5. The law that layeth the charge upon husbands to give such and such portions to his children, and the answerable practice of husbands from time to time, show that the wife of herself hath not power to order them. 40. Of a wife's subjection to her husband about ordering servants and beasts. If wives must have their husband's consent in ordering and disposing of their children which come out of her womb, much more of their servants. They may not take in or thrust out servants against their husband's mind. In this point, as in many other, Sarah manifested her wife-like obedience, in that she would not deal roughly with her maid, though she were provoked, much less put her out of doors till she had made the matter known to her husband. Though she failed in the matter, yet in the thing itself she is a good example. It is further noted and approved in the Shunammite that she asked her husband's consent about sending a servant with her. My meaning is not that such wives as have servants allowed them to attend upon them should ask their husband's consent whensoever they have occasion to use them. For their husbands, by allowing the men for their attendance, manifest their will and consent that they may use them as they see occasion, but that they should not use and employ their servants in such things as they know their husbands would dislike, except they can gain their husband's consent. Against those particulars of children and servants, it may be objected that wives are parents of their children as well as husbands, and mistresses of servants as well as their masters and therefore have altogether as great power over them as their husbands. Answer. Indeed, if the authority of the husband come not between, that may be granted in relation betwixt her and them. But her power being subordinate to her husbands, in relation to him she hath not so great a power. The power of a wife that now we speak of is directly in relation to her husband. The wife may be said, of their beasts and cattle, a particular point noted also in the example of the Shunammite, who having occasion to use a beast, went to her husband and said, Send, I pray thee, with me one of the asses. 41. Of a wise subjection in entertaining strangers journeying abroad and making vows. If wives may not at their pleasure use the things appertaining to the house, much less may they bring strangers into the house and entertain them 
without or against their husband's consent. The good Shunammite, so often named as a precedent for good wives, first asked her husband's consent before she lodged a prophet of the Lord. The same pattern is also commended unto wives to move them not to journey abroad without their husband's consent. For though that good wife had a very weighty and just occasion to go unto the prophet, yet she would not before she knew her husband's mind. As for a wife's power to make vows, in that the law giveth an husband power to disannul her vow when he knoweth it, it implies that she ought to have his consent in making it, if at least she desired to have it established, which she ought to desire, or else she mocketh God. I have thought good to mention that these particular points for illustration of a wise subjection, because they are all of them grounded on God's word. Many other might be added to them, but these are sufficient. 42. Of aberrations contrary to a wise subjection in doing things without or against their husband's consent. Now consider we the usual vices and aberrations contrary to those duties. The general sum of all is for a wife to take on her to do what she lists whether her husband will or no, either not willing that he should know what she doth, or not caring though it be against his mind or will, of this sort are. 1. Such as privily take money out of their husband's closets, counters, or other like places where he lays it, never telling him of it, nor willing that he should know it. Likewise such as after the like manner take wear out of the shop, corn out of the garner, sheep out of the flock, or any other goods to sell and make money of, or to give away, or otherwise to use, so as their husband shall never know, if they can hinder it. Such wives herein sin heinously, and that in many respects. Firstly, they disobey the ordinance of God in the main branch of their particular calling, which is subjection. Two, they ill repay the care and pains which their husbands take for their good. Many such wives recompense evil for good, which is a devilish quality. 3. They are often means to impair and impoverish their husband's estate. 4. They show themselves no better than pilfering thieves thereby, and all that can be justly and truly said for their right in the common goods cannot defend them from the guilt of theft. They are the more dangerous by how much the more they are trusted and less suspected and their fact is so much the more heinous by how much the more dear their husbands ought to be unto them. 5. They are a very ill example to other inferiors in the house, for seldom half a man a deceitful wife, but some of the children or servants are made accessory thereunto, being made her instruments to take the goods and bestow them as she ordered, and so are made unfaithful. 6. They make themselves slaves to their own children and servants, whom they dare not displease, lest they should tell what was done. 7. They teach their children and servants to be thieves, for besides that such as are used by their mistresses to purloin for them, are therefore made accessory to their sin, and they will also purloin for themselves, and when their mistresses shall not know. So is what with the wives purloining one way, and the children or servants another way, a man's estate may be wasted as due before the son, and he not know which way. 2. Such as will have what allowance they think best for themselves and family, and scornfully say they will not be at their husband's finding, they know best what allowance is fittest for the family, 
and that it shall have. Many will make their husband's ear tingle again, yea, will make the whole house, if not the street also, ring of it, if they think their allowance be not answerable to the utmost extent of their husband's estate. This impatiency and influency, as it crosseth God's ordinance, so it maketh both their lives uncomfortable. 3. Such as cocker, attire, or any way bring up their children otherwise than their husbands would, even to the grief and dishonor of their husbands, keeping them at home when their husbands, for their better education, would have them abroad, as these sin in hindering the good of their children, so also in not yielding to their husbands. 4. Such as will have their own will about servants, taking in and putting out whom they please and when they please, using some servants whom they find for their turn to the prejudice of their husbands, and carrying themselves so sharply and shrewishly to others that are for their husbands' turn, as a good, trusty, faithful servant cannot stay in the house. 5. Such as secretly lend out their husbands' horses or other light cattle, more respecting to please a vain friend than to please a good husband. This fault is so much the greater when it is done to the damage and prejudice of the husband. 6. Such as are then most frolic and jolly, when their husbands are furthest off and cannot know it, Solomon sets it down as a note of his trumpet, then to trick up her house and to seek for guests, when her husband is gone a journey far off. Then ought she to be the most solitary, and by abstaining from merry meetings to show that there can be no greater damp to her mirth than the absence of her husband. 7. Such as think their houses a prison unto them, but cannot long tarry at home, they think they have power to go when and whither they will, and to tarry out as long as they list, think their husbands of it what they will. The apostle layeth down this as a mark of a wanton wife, and an idle housewife, being idle, saith he, they go about from house to house, Therefore, in another place he exhorted them to be keepers at home. The wise man goeth further, and maketh this to be another note of his trumpet, that her feet cannot abide in the house, which we may see verified in the Levite's adulterous wife, whose fearful end was a stamp of God's judgment on such loose lewdness. 8. Such as care not how or what they bind themselves unto without their husband's consent or knowledge, Herein especially offend such as being seduced by Jesuits, priests, or friars, take the sacrament, and thereupon by solemn vow and oath bind themselves never to read an English Bible, nor any Protestant books, no nor to go to any of their churches, or to hear any of their sermons, and such most of all as enter into some popish nunnery, and vow never to return to their husbands again. Objection. Anna vowed her child to God without her husband's consent. Why may not they much more vow themselves to God? Answer. Assuredly she was persuaded that her husband would not be against it, and so had an implicit consent, which may well be gathered because afterwards she made it known to him as both the name given to the child and that speech of Anna. I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And the answer of her husband, the Lord established his word, and his going up with her when he was dedicated to the Lord, do all show. Thus far of the first branch of a wise submission in abstaining from doing things without her husband's consent, 
the second followeth in doing the things which he requireth. 43. Of a wise active obedience. It is a good proof and trial of a wise obedience to abstain from doing such things as otherwise she would do. If her husband's contrary will did not restrain her, but yet that it is not sufficient, there must be an active as well as a passive obedience yielded. That old law before mentioned, thy desire shall be subject to thine husband, and he shall rule over thee, implies so much also. If she refuse to do what he would have her to do, her desire is not subject to him, but to herself, neither doth he rule over her. This active part of her obedience hath respect. 1. To his commandments, readily to do what he lawfully commands. 2. To his reproofs, carefully to redress what he justly blameth. For the first, so far out of life to be from thinking scorn to be commanded by her husband, to the very knowledge which by any means she hath of her husband's mind and will, ought to have the force of a straight commandment with her. This readiness to obey is commended in the wives of Jacob, to whom when Jacob had declared what notice he had to depart from their father's house, intimating thereby that he meant to depart and would have him to go with him. Yet before he particularly expressed his will, they readily answered, Whatsoever God has said unto thee do, whereby they gave him to understand that they were ready to yield unto whatsoever he would have done. 44. Of a wise willingness to dwell where her husband will. To make this part of a wife's obedience somewhat more clear, I will exemplify it by two or three particular instances recorded and approved in God's word. The first is that a wife ought to be willing to dwell where her husband will have her dwell. The wives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob herein manifested their wife-like obedience. Though their husbands brought them from their own country and from their father's house, yet they refused not to go with them, but dwelt in a strange country and that intense. Note in particular what Jacob's wives say to their husband in this case. Is there any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Implying thereby that seeing it was their husband's pleasure to be gone, they would not any longer tarry in their father's house to look for any more portion or inheritance there. These examples do further show that if an husband have just occasion to remove from one country to another, and in those countries from place to place, his wife ought to yield to go with him if he require it at her hands. Note what the apostle saith, Have we not power to lead about a wife? That interrogation implies a strong asseveration. The husband then having power to lead about a wife from place to place, she ought to submit herself to that power. This clause, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas, showeth this was not only a power which might be used, but which was used by husbands and yielded unto by wives. Objection. The foreknamed examples are extraordinary, and that upon extraordinary occasions. Answer. Yet there may be patterns for ordinary occasions which are lawful and wantable. Was it not an extraordinary fact of Elijah to pray first that there might be no rain, and then again that there might be rain? Yet is this propounded as a general pattern to move us to pray for things lawful. Now in laying down this duty, I added the clause and caveat of just occasion to meet both with such as upon discontent or superstition 
leave the land where the true gospel is maintained and preached and go into idolatrous places and also with such wandering giddy heads as only to satisfy their own humor and to see fashions as we speak can never rest in a place but are continually removing from country to country and from place to place I think to use the words of the apostle a wife is not under bondage in such cases but if a man be sent of an ambassador by his prince or country or if a preacher or professor be called into another country as Bucer and Peter Martyr were into England in King Edward's days which to this day is usual in other countries or if a man be judged into long imprisonment and upon these and other like occasions shall require his wife to be with him she ought in duty to yield unto his demand contrary is the mind and practice of many wives who being affected and addicted to one place more than another as to the place where they were bred and brought up where their greatest best and most friends dwell and where they have good acquaintance refuse to go and dwell where their husbands calling life though he require and desire them never so much thus many husbands are forced to their great damage for peace sake to yield unto their wives and so either to relinquish their calling or to have two houses whence it follows that sometimes they must neglect their servants and calling and sometimes be absent from their wives if not from their children also some wives pretend that they cannot endure the smoke of the city other that they cannot endure the air of the country whereas indeed their own humor and conceits thus them more than either city smoke or country air I cannot call such the daughters of Sarah herein they are not like those forenamed holy women that trusted in God and were subject to their husbands but rather like to that white housewife of the Levite who would not dwell in her husband's house at Mount Ephraim but at her father's house in Bethlehem Judah such wives as I speak of in matrimonial chastity may be more honest but in wide-like subjection are little more dutiful let this be taken for fault and it will be the sooner amended 45 of a wise readiness to come to her husband when he requires it another particular instance of a wise readiness to yield unto her husband's commandments is to come to her husband when her husband requires it either by calling her or sending for her the forenamed wives of jacob being sent for to their husband in the field where he was made no excuse but came presently so far ought wives herein to subject their wills to their husbands that though it may seem to them some disparagement to come yet if their husbands will have it so they must yield otherwise they seem even to despise their husbands contrary is vashti like stoutness when wives think and say it is the servant's part to come when they are called or sent for and they will never yield to be their husband's servants to come at his command by the same reason may all duties of subjection be rejected but for this particular let such stout dames note the issue of vashti's stubbornness as many excuses might be alleged for her as i think for any for first she was royally descended being the daughter of the king secondly she was then among the honorable women of the kingdom thirdly the king was in drink when he sent for her fourthly he sent for her to show her beauty before multitudes of men which was not seemly but all these were not sufficient to excuse her fault and free her from blame 
First, though she were of royal parentage, yet she was a wife, and her husband sent for her. Secondly, being among the noble women of the kingdom, she should the rather have showed herself a pattern of subjection in this kind. Thirdly, though he were in drink, yet remained he an husband, and the thing which he commanded was not such, but that she might have done it without sin. Fourthly, if she thought the thing unseemly, she should first have used all the fairness she could to have been spared. But if by all she could not have prevailed, then the thing being not implied unlawful and a sin, she should have yielded. Objection. Her fault was not in that as a wife she came not to her husband, but in that as a subject she came not to her sovereign? Answer. Her fault was in both, and in the judgment passed against her. That former was most urged, namely that by her example, all women might learn to despise their husbands. Second objection. Her fact is so censured but by heathen men that have no understanding of God's word. Answer. 1. The Holy Scripture, by the several circumstances so distinctly noted, intimated that her rebellious fact was a notorious fault, and accordingly both judicious commentators and also preachers do tax her of sinful disobedience to her husband. Second, though they are heathen, yet they showed that subjection is required of wives to their husbands by the very light of nature, whereby the sin is aggravated. Three, Abimelech was but a heathen man, yet a sentence concerning a woman's subjection in these words, he is to be a covering of the eyes, is taken to be judicious, and being approved by the Holy Ghost to be a good proof. As for that particular Vashti, why is it so largely recorded in the scripture but for instruction and admonition unto wives? 46. Of a wise readiness to do what her husband requires. A third particular instance of a wise readiness to yield unto her husband's commandment is to perform what business he requireth of her. When of a sudden there came three men to Abram, and he was desirous to entertain them, he bid his wife make ready quickly three measures of meals, and so on, and she did it accordingly. Jeroboam, having a weighty occasion to send to Ahijah the prophet, thought it meet to send by his wife. She accordingly, though a queen, went. She did as her husband would have her. Contrary is the humor of many wives who will not do anything upon command. If such a wise husband, being desirous to entertain a friend on a sudden, shall use Abram's phrase, make ready quickly, and so on, she will say, let him come and do it himself. If he will have it so quickly done, I will not be his drudge. Or if, having a matter of moment and secrecy, he will his wife herself to do it, she will reply, I am none of your servants. Cannot you put it to one of them, or do it yourself? Yet will such wives be ready to command their husbands to do every toy, and if you do it not, they can reply in this such a manner? And may that a wife speak to her husband? With a point of obedience well learned, it would cast such wives into another mold. These few particulars may serve for direction in many hundreds. I proceed to the other part of a wise act of obedience which respected the reproofs of her husband. 47. Of a wife's meek taking a reproof. The husband having authority over his wife, by virtue thereof he hath power, yea, it is his duty, as there is needful cause, to rebuke her. 
By just consequence, therefore, it follows that it is her duty to yield obedience thereunto, which ought the rather to be done because the chiefest trial of found obedience lies herein. For nothing goes so much against one's stomach as reproof. She that yields when she is rebuked will much more when she is entreated. This point of obedience is manifested two ways. One, by meekness and taking a reproof. Two, by endeavor to address what is justly reproved. The very point of obedience especially consisteth in this latter. The former is as good preparative thereunto, without which it will hardly be done, at least not well done. Meekness in this case is one of the most principal fruits of that meek and quiet spirit which Peter commended unto wives. Howsoever, Rachel justly deserved blame for coming in a fuming chase with an imperious command to her husband, yet in that she meekly took his sharp reproof, for she replied not against it, but meekly gave a direction for the better accomplishment of her desire, her example is commendable. Commendable, I say, not in the matter of her direction, but in her patient bearing of reproof. Much wisdom may be learned hereby, for when any meekly take a reproof, thereby they suppress their passion and keep it from rising as a cloud before their understanding and darkening it. And so may they better judge of the matter reproved, whether it be just or no, and whether it need redress or no. Whereof they who are impatient of reproof and fret and fume against it cannot so well judge. The Virgin Mary made good use of Christ reproving her, and thereby learned and taught a good point of wisdom, namely so to refer all affairs to Christ as we expect his pleasure, and not prescribe time, means, manner, or any other like circumstances unto him. Question. What if the husband's reproof be bitter? Answer. He therein forgets his place, yet thereupon she must not forget her duty. If Jacob's reproof be well noted, we shall find it very tart, for it is expressly said that his anger was kindled against her. Genesis 32. So as he spake in anger, the manner and form of his words being with an interrogation, and the matter also, am I in God's stead, and so on, declared tartness, yet, as was declared before, she showed meekness. Second question. What if his reproof be unjust? Answer. Yet may not meekness be forgotten. In such a case, a wife may make a just apology to clear her own innocency and manifest her husband's error. But if he refuse to hear her or will not believe her, then, as Peter speaketh in another case, she must endure grief for conscience toward God. The two reasons which there he rendereth in that other case may not unfitly be applied to this. 1. In general, this is thankworthy. It is a grace, a glory to her, a matter that deserveth praise and commendation. 2. In particular, it is acceptable to God. Howsoever their husbands may deal roughly and untowardly with them, yet God will graciously respect them if they shall patiently, in obedience to his ordinance, bear their husbands unjust reproofs. 3. I may add this reason also, that thus they shall show themselves good Christians indeed, and that they are not overcome of evil. Contrary is their mind, who by no means will brook a rebuke at their husband's hands. It scares not whether it be just or unjust. 
If their husbands reprove them, they shall be sure to have the reproof rebounded back again upon their faces, and that with greater violence than ever it came from them. There be some that seem to be very good wives, so they be tried by a touchstone of reproof. But then that the reproof be for matter most just, for matter most mild, and that in private betwixt their husbands and themselves, that they grow so impatient or rather mad, as they forbear not to give their husbands the most scornful speeches that they can invent, using with all bitter imprecations and execrations, and threaten to drown or hang themselves if they be crossed of their wills. Yea, further, if wise husbands shall forbear them in their passion, and after it is delayed, tell them how unbeseeming their places they carry themselves, they will seek to justify themselves, and lay all the blame on their husbands for crossing them in their will. Or if they cannot but see their fault, yet they will only say, It is my infirmity, but yet ever continuing that infirmity. And though they make show of fearing God, yet labor not to purge this corrupt humor out of their hearts. Hence is it, for the most part, that contentions arise betwixt man and wife. If wives would learn in this point to be subject, many errors, which from time to time arise betwixt them, would be allayed, if not prevented. Michal, the wife of David, and Job's wife, though they gave just occasion to be most sharply reproved, yet shall rise up in judgment against these wives, because they were silent after they were reproved, and replied not. Solomon oft titles such as cannot bear rebuke scorners, so as hereby wise show that they are very scornful. 48. Of a wise readiness to redress what her husband justly reproveth in her. A further degree of obedience in bearing reproof is that a wife readily redress what is justly reproved by her husband. I say justly because where no fault is, there needs no amendment. Patience may be needful, as was before showed, but no repentance of that which is not amiss. For where anything is amiss, there must be a redress. Rachel did amiss in bringing idols into her husband's house. Her husband, in bidding her, among others, to put away their strange gods, reproved them all, whereupon she, with all the rest, gave to him all their strange gods. This was a good redress. A reproof may be justly given either for a good duty omitted or for evil thing committed, and accordingly must the redress or amendment be. A, a duty formerly omitted must after the reproof be more carefully observed and performed, if it be a continual duty and may be again performed. Otherwise the redress is a testification of true sorrow for that fault. When an evil is committed, if any means can be used to make up the hurt and redress the mischief that followed thereupon, it must be done. If not, sorrow as before must be testified and care taken that the same or the like be not committed again. As a good conscience requireth as much of all Christians by whomsoever they be reproved, so the respect which a wife oweth to her husband doth after an especial manner require it. Otherwise her fault is doubled, one, by continuance in her sin, two, by disobedience to her husband. Contrary is their spirit, who for reproof wax the worse, being like those scorners of whom Solomon speaketh, that hate those that reprove them. 
It is the speech of some wives that if their husbands would let them alone, they would do the better, but upon rebuke they will never amend. The more their husbands find fault, the more will they go on in doing what they do. What other judgment can be given of such than that which the wise man giveth? There is more hope of a fool than of them. 49. Of a wise contentment with her husband's present estate. Of submission hitherto. Contentment is also a part of obedience. It hath respect to a man's outward estate and ability, in and with which a wife must rest satisfied and contented, whether it be high or low, great or mean, wealthy or needy, above, equal, or under that estate wherein she was before marriage. Yea, though a man have been sometimes great in estate, yet if he decay therein and be brought to a mean estate, he ought to rest content. Thus much Job implieth in his reply to his wife, saying, Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and not receive evil? The evil he speaketh of was the loss of his goods, servants, and children, together with other miseries that Satan, through God's permission, inflicted upon him. The receiving of evil which he speaketh of was a resting content with it, and a patient bearing of it. Evil may be laid on any, and so they forced to bear it but they only receive it who are content with it. Now in that he useth the plural number, we, and speaking to his wife, saith, Shall not we receive evil? He showeth that his wife ought as well as he to have rest contented in that poor and miserable estate. For 1. Man and wife being one flesh, by virtue of their matrimonial union, both his advancement and also his abasement is hers. As she riseth with him, so she falleth with him. Wherefore, as she is willing to be advanced with him, so she must be content to be abased with him. 2. If at the time of marriage her husband was of meaner estate than she, she voluntarily put herself in that mean estate, for a wife taketh her husband, as he her, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And shall she not be content with her own act? If after marriage his estate decay and wax meaner than it was, she is to be persuaded that by God it was so ordered, and that God aimed at her humiliation as well as his, and thereupon she ought in her dutiful submission to God's overruling providence to be patient and content. This Job implieth under this phrase, Shall we not receive evil at the hand of God? And under this the Lord taketh away. 3. A wise contentment is a greater ease to her husband lying under a cross, and it maketh the burden seem much lighter than otherwise it would, if at least he be a kind husband, and affected with his wise passion, as he ought to be. For a loving husband in every distress is more perplexed for his wife than for himself. 50. A wise discontent at their husband's estate. Contrary is the impatiency and discontent of wives at their meanness and, as they think, baseness of their husband's estate, which is many ways manifested. 1. Some, when they are married, finding their husband's estate weaker than they imagined, repent their marriage, and stick not to tell their husbands, that if they had before known them to be no better men than they find them to be, they should have been no husbands for them. Please continue listening on tape 3.